If you have a Bible available, please turn to Joshua chapter 8. We're reading from verses 30 through 35. You may note that the bulletin has labeled uh, for the sermon title, title. That's when the pastor doesn't cooperate that week. (laughs) The staff had revenge on him. Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come to your word, we ask that you will teach us and guide us into all truth. It's your spirit who is our instructor, and it's only in him that we can know what your word means and that you illumine our minds and give us understanding. And so we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Mohammed T.I. Aden is his formal name. Most of his friends call him T.I. He was a Somali refugee who lived over half his life in Minnesota. In 2008, he was completing his master's degree, he was starting a small business, and was enjoying his American life with his wife and five children. Unwittingly, he found himself the governor of a region, a rather desolate region in Somalia. He was reluctant to go, in fact, he was hesitant, even resistant, but several of the leaders of the clans of the region prevailed upon him and he went back. It was one of the most lawless areas of Somalia. It had been so since the early 1990s, and it was particularly known for its piracy epidemic. So where the pirates who were operating out in the Indian Ocean were based out of. So one of his major goals as the governor of the region was to eliminate piracy. He enjoyed some success, so much so that foreign money began to pour into that portion of Somalia. There was infrastructure being built. Pirates were actually retiring and taking up more productive ventures. The New York Times showed up and actually interviewed T.I. and put him forward as a success story for Somalia. But then in 2014, he was arrested by Belgium for piracy. Yes, the man who eradicated piracy, 
in this region of Somalia, was then arrested for piracy. And what exactly had happened? He proclaimed his innocence all the way through his trial and even still continues to do so today, despite the fact that the evidence is strong against him. One State Department official explained the situation that many Americans who then return to their homeland face, that in those complicated situations where they desire to do good, where they desire to bring peace and order, they find that in the absence of law and order that they oftentimes must accommodate themselves and compromise themselves to the standards of the region. And T.I. was known to do this. Extortion and blackmailing became kind of his currency, the way that he operated in order to have funds to bless other people and to do good for the region. And this sketches for us in a stark way the crisis that the church lives in. Because we also are sent into a hostile and difficult part of the world. It's a world that's infested by sin. And we enter in and we face the very same tensions that T.I. faces because we are prone to accommodate ourselves. We are prone to take on the culture that is around us and we're prone to wanting to do good but then getting lost along the way. And we saw this strongly last week in the book of Joshua with a man named Achan who was a member of the covenant family, the people of Abraham, the nation of Israel. And yet he denounced his God and went against his call and command and went his own way. And he reserved for himself what had been devoted to the Lord. And then he concealed it and he hid it. He was classified as an idolater. And what we learned is that there was a larger story being told there. That Achan's names, the original consonants in the language, are actually the same consonants for the word Canaan. And a large theological point is being made to all readers of the Bible that the problem is not outside, out there. That the problem the church faces is an internal one. That Canaan is inside of us and inhabits us. And it's a threat to the church's mission. And so it's an enormous question as we take up the inheritance of God and God calls us to go out into his promise, to accept his purposes for us, to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, it's an enormous question. How do we main, remain true to God in the midst of all that? How do we navigate those tensions where we don't become accommodated, we don't go native, and we don't harden ourselves and fail to listen to God? How do we do that? We find the answer in verse 30 here in chapter 8. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. For a moment, just consider the pattern over the last several chapters. We have Israel crossing the Jordan, and then there is a covenant renewal ceremony, we labeled it the other week, where 12 stones were taken from the Jordan River and they were piled up as a memorial. And they were to remind Israel of what God had done for them that day and even what God had done for them in bringing them through the Red Sea. And then on the other side of the construction of this memorial, circumcision was observed and Passover was celebrated. 
that all the great events of what God had done for his people were rehearsed and the people were reminded and they were drawn into it. And this was to invigorate them for what was ahead, the mission that God was sending them into. And so then we have the battle of Jericho and we have a victory. And then we have the battle of Ai and we have a defeat. And then we have the sin of Achan. And then we have the victory at, at I. And so here, once again, at the close of this, we have another covenant renewal ceremony. It's an interesting alternating pattern that we find. As there is an internal focus on the church and its worship, being prepared, and then going out in mission, and then returning in worship before it goes back out into mission. And this is the very simple answer to how the church faces the crisis of becoming accommodated to the culture around us, is that the church, in order to remain true, has to return to its communion with God. In order for our service to be true to God and for our service not to become accommodated, we have to worship and know that God. We have to be relieved by His presence to be renewed by Him. Now, the church honestly struggles to hold this together. We struggle to hold two things together, the worship of God and also God's commandment to go to the nations. We tend to want to separate these things all the time. We want to tear them into pieces. Churches want to either focus just upon worship and to say, well, if we do that right, then everything else will just take care of itself. So we're going to focus just on worship, and we're going to get our liturgy right. We're going to get it all aligned, and all the pieces will come together. And then others will respond and say, no, well, that stuff is all not really important at all. What we need to do is go out and perform the Great Commission. We need to be about mission. And friends, the Bible just doesn't play in this great divorce that we oftentimes force upon it. That these two things have always been married, held together fast by God's call and command of us. That we are to worship him and then in worshiping him, we are renewed for mission. That that worship orients us to our service and that service then sends us back to worship for renewal. It's a dynamic and a cycle that has to be at the very core of our heart and of our lives and of our experience. And then what we see that unfolds in this passage as Joshua takes Israel into worship is exactly how this renewal takes place. And we have to do this briefly this morning, but three things that I'd like you to observe here. The first is that in this renewal, God affirms us. If you follow with me in verse 31, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them, this is referring to Deuteronomy chapter 27, and they were to construct there an altar of uncut stones, which upon no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings. It's significant to note the order here of what happens, because the burnt offering was always to be first. And the burnt offering is specifically the offering that was to deal with atonement and sin. And there were faults and there were failures in Israel. There had been compromise. We know of one man named Achan, but we know certainly there were other sins. And that Israel, in order to worship this God, that their sins had to be atoned for and taken care of. There had to be confession. 
And so with that sacrificial victim, it was recognized that God was one who graciously forgave sins. That God was one who put the sins of us, of those that we have committed, and he puts them on the victim, on another. And this, is, of course, is all foreshadowing what God does for us in Jesus. But this is the first aspect of renewal, the first step and stage of it as to how God renews us is he removes the pollution from inside of us. He forgives it, and then he begins to work against it. And this is what the confession that comes with the burnt offering is to do. Now, of course, the logic of this has been carried over into Christian worship in a very simple way. If you look and surveyed across all the Protestant worship services of the Reformation, they began in one very simple way, with the confession of sin. In fact, oftentimes they had the call to worship after the confession of sin. That the very first words that were to be said and uttered in the presence of God were that we are not worthy and that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds by what we've done and by what we've left undone that this is the dynamic in which renewal takes place, that God affirms that he forgives sinners, that he comes to us, that he renews us by grace, that he pardons us. And so, yes, some people comment from time to time as they journey through Christ's church, the worship structure is so repetitive. Why is it that way? And all I can say is because this is the way God wants it. This is the way he commands it. And he commands it that way because he knows our greatest need. And this is what it takes for us to be ushered into his presence, for us to acknowledge that we're not qualified for it. So this is the first piece of that renewal. Second is that God speaks to us. If you follow along in verses 32 and 34, you'll note that Joshua copies the law that was given in Deuteronomy. He inscribes it upon the stones, and then it is read in verse 34 for all the people, that all of Israel was there gathered, not just the adults, not just the ones who were literate, not just the leaders, but everyone. You find that it was the sojourners. These were the people who had joined Israel from the land and covenanted with their God. The little ones, the women, the men, everyone who was part of the covenant family, was there to listen to the word that God was speaking to the community. And when God speaks in Scripture, we can say that at least two things happen. The first is that he reminds us of the basis of our relationship. If you think of the Ten Commandments as a summary of everything that Joshua read there, you know where they start. It doesn't start with a rule. It starts with a promise. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And when we hear the word of God, when God speaks to us and addresses us, this is one of the very first things that we hear. The basis of our relationship is not because of our worth, it's not because of our merits, it's not because of our righteousness, that we are somehow better than all the people out there amongst the nations. But rather, it's a statement of God's initiating grace of what he has done for us, despite who we are. This was inscribed in Israel's constitution in chapter 7, where God says, it's not for your righteousness that I've chosen you. And this is the primary reminder 
when we hear the word of God, is that God graciously condescends to us. And this is why he sent Jesus Christ into the world. And when we gather as a community and we hear the word of God, this must be the constant word that we listen to. That we are sinners and we are separated from God and we're only reconciled and redeemed and made right through Jesus as we look to him in faith. And so this is the first thing that's always going on as God speaks. Now the second thing is that he reminds us of the purpose for which he has given the promise. You'll note that there's this elaborate liturgy that takes place in the passage where the Israelites line up on the two mountains and the ark passes between them. In Deuteronomy 27, they're, they're chanting the blessings and the curses of the law. It's, it's quite an elaborate festive occasion. And as they do so, they begin to move from the promises of God into the precepts, what he had commanded Israel to do. But those were not just arbitrary commands. We have to remember that whenever God commands us something, when he gives us a rule and a precept, it's for the purpose of advancing his mission, that it has an ethical concern that's related to what he wants to accomplish in the world, that these precepts are related to the promise, and the promise was that God was going to bless the nations. He was going to take Abraham and Abraham's family and he was going to constitute them and make them great and make them become a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so here, as Israel hears the word of God, they were listening to the command of God as to what it looked like to respond to this grace of God in gratitude and what duty they were now to render, what they were to bring to God. Reflecting on this, Calvin in book three of the Institutes says it very simply. He says, all of the Christian life can be summed up with two phrases. We belong to God. It's the first announcement, he says. And the second announcement, we don't belong to ourselves. All the sum of the word of God, he says, is found in those two phrases. We belong to God, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God through Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed by him and him alone. And therefore, because we've been bought, we don't get to call the shots. We must listen to the precepts of God because we've been bought by the promises of God. And friends, that's the challenge for the community as it gathers in this great assembly, is to hear the word of God. Not to pick and choose what they listen to and what they like. Not to boil it down to the least common denominator. But to listen to the counsel of God and all that he says. When it contradicts us and when it corrects us. When it affirms us and when it challenges us. When it comforts us and when it deeply concerns us. We have to listen in all those moments and through all the seasons of life. Because the voice of God speaking is what renews us in this mission. It's what reorients us and corrects us. And that is one of the deepest needs that we have in order not to become accommodated. The third piece of this renewal that takes place in worship, though, is that God strengthens us. Back in verse 31, you see that there was first the burnt offering, and then you also have the peace offerings. In the liturgy of the temple that would come in years later, 
You have the burnt offerings, and then you would have the reading of the scriptures, and the final offering would be the peace offering, or what was known as the fellowship offering. And during the fellowship offering, the things put on the altar were actually not consumed by fire. They were actually taken by the community and eaten. It was a meal that was enjoyed. There was fellowship and communion with a family or a clan, a group of worshipers. And it was understood that you were communing with God all the way back in Exodus 24 on the mountain when God gave the law, the elders went up onto the mountain and it says they ate a meal in the presence of the Lord. So it's all, of course, pointing to and foreshadowing what we have in front of us this morning. Eating a meal in the presence of God, enjoying a right relationship with him because of what's happened in the burnt offering. And so during the peace offering, there were then a couple of things that went on. Worshippers were allowed to devote themselves personally to giving thanks to God for his great benefits of them. Or they could also pronounce vows of dedication, and they could dedicate themselves to serving God out of a grateful heart. That as they enjoyed that fellowship, they consecrated themselves for him and for his purposes. And this is what takes place in worship, is that God strengthens us, that he comes to us, that he dwells among us, and he prepares us for what lies ahead. Because you see, our worship right now is not just an end in itself. It's God strengthening in us for the purpose of sending us out into his world, his inheritance, that he's declared as ours in Jesus Christ. Because obviously, as we read the book of Joshua, we're looking at a piece of real estate in the Middle East that God had promised to his people an inheritance that they were to take by faith. And now through Jesus Christ, something much grander has been offered to you. We're not squabbling over that piece of real estate, but rather the inheritance that has been won through Jesus' death and resurrection is nothing less than the nations of the earth. That's the inheritance that our Lord Jesus sends us into. And this is why he says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not partial authority. He doesn't have any competitors. There's no hanging chads in this election. There's no Russian hacking that takes place. It's not an election at all. It was a battle. And he won in rising from the dead. And he then says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Enter into my inheritance and proclaim the good things that I've done. And as we go about that task, we desperately have to be strengthened. Our faith that is feeble and falters in so many different ways has to be renewed. It has to be reoriented. Or we will be like T.I. We will find ourselves accommodated. We will find ourselves washed away by the culture's values around us, where we become irrelevant. But friends, as we gather in the presence of God, as we acknowledge our need for the sacrifice of Jesus, that he alone can make us right, he alone on that day-to-day -day and weekly basis and month-to-month -month and year-over-year as we look to him in faith and ask for the forgiveness of our sins, he alone can reconcile us to God. And we have to experience that primary renewal.
And then we gather to hear his word. We ask God, speak to us. We need a word from you. What you have revealed of old, illumine our minds to today. Give it to us again. We need God to direct us. And then we need God to strengthen us, to fellowship with us, to commune with us, which of course we have the opportunity to come today. And we then devote ourselves to him. This is what it looks like to be a community on mission. Out serving and having that service then reoriented through what happens Lord's Day and Sunday by Sunday. Joyfully meeting with this God and being sent out into his promise and purpose. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks for all your grace and your mercy in our lives. That when we were undeserving, you have announced that in Jesus Christ we belong to you. Grant us grace in your Holy Spirit that we would know that we don't belong to ourselves and that we can live as living and holy sacrifices, pleasing to you. Renew us in this way even today as we come in worship. May we know the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. May we hear your voice in your word. And may you strengthen us as we come to your table. And send us out in this great city in which you have called us to live. And may we be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. We thank you for the city of Jacksonville, and we ask that the gospel would run and be glorified here. Bless our many mission partners, our sister churches, and all those who join us in the cause of promoting the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We especially pray this morning for Tommy Park as he leads the Reform University Fellowship Campus Ministry at their fall conference. Bless them in their fellowship, but especially as they gather around your word. We pray, God, that you will bring men and women into the knowledge of your glory, that you would welcome them through Jesus, that they would find life in his name. We ask that you build up those disciples, those students who are seeking to follow you, and that you encourage them, and that you continue to use Tommy and Nikki as a light on the campus at the University of North Florida. Thank you for their long labors there. And we ask that you continue to provide their needs. And Lord, we also continue to pray for our brother Kurt Nelson. We're grateful for his presence here this morning. And as he leads and guides East-West Ministries, Lord, we ask that you give Kurt keen leadership and insight as he encourages missionaries all around the world serving in closed countries, giving themselves selflessly to the cause of the gospel. Will you bless their many labors to promote the name of Jesus in countries where it's dangerous to do so? And will the church from every tribe and tongue and nation grow and expand because of Kurt's labors on behalf of your gospel? Provide all the needs of East-West. Thank you for their many years of faithful ministry and bless them in every way. And Lord, we're also mindful this morning of the great need of the gospel in our own personal lives. We ask God that we would know how to respond to your word that affirms us and forgives us, and that we know how to devote ourselves wholly to you, 
to be those living and holy sacrifices. And so, Lord, we pray that we would listen attentively, that you dig out ears in us, that we hear your voice, that your spirit would convict us, and that in being convicted, we would not be without hope, but that we would turn and change and know the transforming power of the gospel. Work in us and especially orient us in all of our worship to the service of your world, to the heart that you have for it. And Lord, we pray for our upcoming missions conference. We thank you for all the missionaries who will join us and for Jimmy Agin who will come to preach and to teach. And we ask God that you would bless that weekend ahead. We set it apart for you, consecrate it, use it for your purposes. And Lord, we pray for all those who are sick and all those who suffer in our church community this morning. We remember them. And God, we ask that you would remind them, even today, that they've not been forgotten by you. Draw near to them, grant them comfort, bring healing, restore and renew them according to your great power and wisdom. And finally, this morning, we also pray for our children. We give you thanks for them, and we hear even in your word this morning that they are included amongst your people, that they are to hear your word and to know your grace and their responsibilities before you. And Lord, we ask that we be faithful in instructing them and encouraging them and teaching them of our Lord Jesus. And may they grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with you and all people. May they not remember days apart from Jesus, that they called upon him from their earliest years. And will they grow up to be a great and faithful generation who would know Jesus and follow hard after him? Hear us as we pray this morning, Father. All these things we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I invite you all to stand. We have peace with God because of the burnt offering, our Lord Jesus Christ, and this peace grants us fellowship with one another. And so I say to you, the peace of the Lord be always with you. Please turn and greet one another in the peace of Christ this morning.